Well, turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in Jesus Christ you have given to us the righteousness that we could never have or never earn in any way on our own. But we also thank you, Father, that with Christ you give to us the Holy Spirit who transforms us by your grace to enable us to walk the path of obedience. Not perfectly, Father, but Lord, with your help and strength to walk increasingly in a way like Christ, to live like Christ. And Father, to that end, we pray that you would use your words today in the hands of your Holy Spirit to, for those of us who are Christians, that we would examine ourselves in the light of your word. And for any who are here who are not yet Christians, Father, may you in your grace uh, draw people into the kingdom of Christ and into the, the safety of the world of salvation that belongs to Jesus alone, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now, did anyone go to see a pantomime this year? Anyone see a pantomime? No. Oh, yeah, Alanis. What did you go to see, Alanis? Snow White. Snow White and the... Are we allowed to call them seven dwarves today? Snow White and the seven uh, not very tall people? No? Even that's controversial, isn't it? Well, when you go to see a pantomime or a play at the theatre, when you go to see a pantomime or a play, uh, sometimes... Sometimes when the curtains open, well, sometimes the actors are there doing something, but sometimes the stage is empty. There's a few seconds for you just to look at the scene before the actor or actors come on to the stage. And in those few seconds, you see how the stage is decorated. You see the props, maybe a table or chairs, maybe a seat. You see the backdrop, the painted scenes. You can see, you know, are these scenes going to change uh, and things like that, panels that can be moved with each scene. Whatever the setting, and it can be anything from a, a kitchen to a castle, anything from a battlefield to a bus stop, when the, immediately the actors walk onto the stage, our attention, our focus shifts, doesn't it? Uh, our focus shifts onto the actor or actors. What are they going to say? What are they going to do? Uh, what story is the play or the pantomime going to tell? Because the story is the main thing, isn't it? It's not the stage. Impressive, though sometimes the stage and all the stagecraft is. The story is the main thing, what the actors do. Now, in these first two verses of Luke chapter 3, Luke is setting the scene. He is painting the historical background to the story he's telling. And it's interesting, isn't it? He paints it in some detail, doesn't he? And we looked at that a little bit earlier in the service with some of these historical characters. But I want to know, why does he do that in the 15th year of the reign of the emperor Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, uh, Lysanias or Lysanias Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and his son-in-law Caiaphas, the word of God came to John in the wilderness. Now, why does, why does Luke go into all that detail? 
Well, first of all, he wants to know that what he's written in Luke chapter 1, verse 3 is true. He wants us to know that he has carefully investigated everything from the beginning. And then secondly, he wants us to know that what he's writing about includes and involves real people in real places in real time. This is not fiction, but fact involving real people, real places in real time. He wants us to know, Luke chapter 1, verse 4, the certainty of the things we have been taught. But Luke does not want us to be distracted or to keep focusing on the historical background, does he? Because the main event, the main event does not involve the emperor Tiberius, does not involve King Herod or Pontius Pilate, nor even the Jewish high priests. The main event involves a man called John, the son of Zechariah. And it is to this man living in the wilderness. We know from the other Gospels that he wore a coat of camel hair, that he had a, he had a, he had a liking for, um, for honey-coated locusts. But it is to him, the strange figure in the wilderness, that the word of God comes. And you see, that is the main event. It's not just that John comes onto the stage, like the actor at the beginning of the play, if this play is the, the ministry of Jesus, the public ministry of Jesus. It's not just that John comes onto the stage, it's that the word of God comes onto the stage. Do you see that? The word of God comes to John, the son of Zechariah, in this opening scene of the story of Jesus' public ministry. And there's three things we can say about this dramatic event of the Word of God coming on stage. Firstly, it confirms that John is a prophet. In fact, John is the last of the Old Testament prophets. This, for, this formula, the Word of God came, or the Word of the Lord came, you find it repeatedly in the prophets. Micah 1 verse 1, Jeremiah 1 verse 2, we saw it in Jonah, twice in Jonah, if you remember, the Word of the Lord came to Jonah, and then a second time. This marks John out as an Old Testament prophet, a true prophet of God. And as far as I know, please correct me if I'm wrong, as far as I know, this is the only place in the New Testament that formula is used. He is the last of the Old Testament prophets. The word of God came. Secondly, it not only confirms that John is a prophet, it marks the end of a long silence. It marks the end of a long silence. There has been no prophetic word from God since Malachi. 400, by this time 460, maybe 470 years ago. Can you imagine the questions that must have filled the hearts of the Jewish people during those 460 years? What is God doing? Has he forgotten us? How long must we wait? Where is this Elijah that Malachi prophesied about in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6? But the centuries of silence has now ended. God is speaking to his people once again. Aslan is on the move. The second Elijah is here in the form of John, the son of Zechariah. And then thirdly, what we learn 
about this as well is that the Word of God, as I mentioned briefly earlier, the Word of God is the main actor in this drama. The Bible tells us that the Word of God is living and active. It's alive and active. The Word of God is living and active. And you see, the Word of God in the hands of the Spirit of God does things. It changes things. It brings into life new things. It brings life to the dead. It brings hope to the hopeless. It makes sad hearts to sing. And you see, it is the Word of God in the hands of the Spirit-filled John. Do you remember Luke chapter 1? He will be filled with the Spirit even before he is born. That's what Gabriel said to Zachariah about John. He will be filled with the Spirit even before he's born. So the Word of God in the hands of the Spirit-filled John will bring crowds of people, even tax collectors, even soldiers, even you and me, to repentance and forgiveness and salvation. I wonder, do, do you recognize and do I recognize the importance, the significance, the drama of the power of the Word of God in the hands of the Spirit of God? or in the hands of spirit-filled men and women and boys or girls of God, to do things that emperors, you see, and Roman governors and puppet kings like Herod could never do, to do things that prime ministers and presidents and first ministers could never do. And do you realize that when God tells the story of the 21st century, Putin and Zelensky and Sunak and Sturgeon will simply be the backdrop. They will simply be the backdrop to the main event. What the Word of God is doing or what the Word of God has done in the hands of the Spirit of God. To bring all people, verse 6, chapter 3, verse 6, to bring all people, all flesh, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, slave and free, male and female, to see, to see God's salvation. Now, it may be that in the future, historians will write about the town of Irvine. Have I said that right, Alanis? Irvine? You don't say Irvine, do you? No, Irvine and Ayrshire. Um, Alanis is from Kilmarnock in Ayrshire. So when the future historians write about the town of Irvine, what will they write about? What do you think? What will they write about? What will they write about? Who comes from Irvine? Nicola Sturgeon. Isn't that right? She was born and brought up in Irvine. So you can imagine any historian who's going to write a history of the town of Irvine is bound to say this is the home of, to date, Scotland's longest serving first minister. They will not write, I don't think they will write about Billy from Irvine. They've probably never heard of Billy. But when God records the history of Irvin, will, he will record and tell the story of Billy. This is a true story. I'm not sure Billy's his right name because my, I didn't make, I'd made notes, but I've lost the notes. It was a public, uh, public meeting that Billy spoke at. Billy was a drug addict, to cut the story short. He grew up in Irvine, but got involved with drugs and alcohol and was addicted. And if you know, and as you know, anybody who's addicted to drugs and alcohol, it's a terrible spiral. It leads to all sorts of destructive behavior on relationships, 
a drug addict will steal from their dying granny to get the next fix. That's just a horrible reality of addiction. But Billy had a chance to start again, and he grabbed it with both hands, and he got a chance to move to Largs. So he got a new flat in Largs. But what happened? He got to his new flat in Largs, and he found that the guy across the landing was a drug addict or even a drug dealer. So immediately he was spiraling down again. And uh, his life his life was desperate. He could not see any way out. He could not see any hope. So he decided he was going to end it. He was going to bring his life to an end. And he decided he would do that on one Sunday morning. So he made preparations. But he found he didn't have, I suppose, the courage to go through with it. So he said, I'm going to go to the supermarket, the local Cope or whatever. I'm going to buy a couple of bottles of vodka or whiskey. I will drink the bottles of vodka and then I'll kill myself because I can't go on. On his way to the supermarket, on his way to the store to buy the alcohol, he met an, an older woman. And the older woman was on her way to church. And he, she said to him, I don't recognize you. I said, oh, I've just been here a few weeks, a few months. She said, come with me to church. Why don't you come to church? We've got tea, we've got coffee, we've got biscuits. And Billy thought, oh, well, I suppose I might as well. And he actually, to be honest, was thinking he might be able to steal something from the church. You know, the way the mind thinks, even in the last hours of his, his life. Anyway, Billy came into the church, sat right at the back. And the man who was leading the service was a visiting speaker, a visiting preacher, I think from Glasgow. The regular preacher was away and he stood up and said, for many years, I was a drug addict. And when my life was at its end and coming to an end and I could not go on anymore, Jesus saved me. Jesus saved me. And he preached the gospel. He told the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ, and Billy was saved. He was saved by the Word of God in the hands of the Spirit of God to do something that President Biden could never do if we think he's the most powerful man in the world. No, President Biden couldn't do that. Not all the education in the world could do that. Not all the money in the world could do that. But the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, could do that, could save a man who was about to kill himself by arranging for a lady, an old lady, to be walking down the street, for the old lady to invite him, to arrange for a visiting speaker who had gone through the same experience as Billy had gone through, to be there on that Sunday at that precise time. Don't you just marvel? Marvel at the sovereign grace and providence of God? Well, that's the first point from verses 1 and 2, the historical background and the main event. You can put up that, uh, Callum, if, if you have the slide there. We have some folks on a crash today, actually, if that would be helpful. Um, okay. It's okay. It's just to provide it as an option. Okay. So, secondly... Uh, John prepares the way for the Lord Jesus, who is God's salvation. This is the second point, uh, Callum. John prepares the way for the Lord 
So the first point is that the word of God came to John. The word of God came to John. Secondly, John prepares the way for the Lord Jesus, who is God's salvation, uh, verses 3 to 9. Uh, Billy Connolly used to say that the Queen, I don't often quote Billy Connolly, and I'm not going to do it very often. But he used to say that the Queen, the late Queen, must think that the whole world smells of fresh paint. Because everywhere she went, people had made preparations for her coming. And I remember in 1990, I think it was, when I was working at Ragmore Hospital, Princess Diana uh, came to visit, I think, to open up a new, the new A&E department at the time. And I didn't get to meet her personally. I was just the lowest of the low. But the senior doctors and staff who met her were all in very crisp, very white coats. I'd never seen coats so white. There's no blood, you know, no grime, no pen marks, nothing like that. Sparkling white coats in order to, to greet Princess Diana. And you know, in the ancient world, in the time of the prophet Isaiah, in the time of Jesus, if a ruler or a king was making a journey, then the same kind of preparations would be made. People would go ahead of them, literally to see that the road was clear, that obstacles would be removed, that people in the villages and towns would know that the king is coming. And more than 700 years before John was born, The prophet Isaiah wrote about a voice calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight. The rough way smooth. And all people, all flesh will see God's salvation. Notice that this prophecy tells us three things about Jesus, just very briefly, three bullet points. Three things about Jesus. Who is the Lord in Isaiah's prophecy? Who is the Lord in Isaiah's prophecy? In the Old Testament, it is Yahweh. It is Yahweh, capital letters. It is Yahweh, God, revealing himself as a covenant Lord. And David pointed things like this out when we were looking at the Trinity. And here is this prophecy applied to Jesus. Prepare the way for Yahweh. The God who revealed himself at the burning bush in the time of Moses. He is coming. What does that tell you? That tells you that Jesus is fully divine. Jesus is God in human flesh. He is not like our Mormon friends who were with us last Sunday night. He is not semi-divine. He is not kind of divine in a funny way. He is fully divine. He is God. He is the Lord. And then it also tells us, it also tells us that he is God's salvation, verse 6. All flesh will see God's salvation. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be saved? It means that we have seen who Jesus is, that he is God's salvation, that we have come to him, that we have said, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, I want what you are giving to me. I want what you have come to give to me. 
for the likes of Billy and for the likes of ourselves who've maybe never touched a drug in our lives, but are still sinners and still need to be saved from the wrath to come. Yes, Lord, you are God's salvation. I need to be saved. I need to be rescued. I need to be redeemed. I need to be forgiven. The Jesus who is Yahweh is God's salvation. And then thirdly, and I think I'll finish with this for today. We'll pick this up again next week. Do you notice again, Jesus is God's salvation for all people. All people will see God's salvation. This is not done in a corner. This is not done in a secret place. This is Jesus beginning his public ministry, revealing himself as God's salvation so that all nations might repent and put their faith in Christ and be saved. The good news of Jesus is for everyone, for everyone, for Jew and for non-Jew, it's for Muslim, it's for Hindu, it's for Ukrainian, it's for Moldovans, it's for Russians, it's for Siberians, it's for Scottish, Irish, it's for Malaysian, it's for well, Moyan, you're from Glasgow, but your folks are from Nigeria originally. It's from folks in West Africa, from folks in the Far East. It's from folks from Germany, from all over. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that from one figure dressed in a camel coat, eating locusts flavored with honey, pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus, preparing the way for Jesus as God's salvation. And all across this world, even in places like the Solomon Islands and the Falklands, wherever you go, you will find people who have seen God's salvation in Jesus. Amazing. Amen. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for your love and mercy to us. And how we thank you that in your mercy to us, you bring to us the sound of the word of God to wake us up from our slumber and sleeping. That in the hands of the Holy Spirit, the word of God shows us Jesus, who is your salvation. We thank you, Father, for that in his name. Amen.